This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Wow, that is a tough pill to swallow for Raptors fans who've been cheering for the team for, I guess, more than like three years. You may remember another excruciating example of when they could not get a tip in to go at the end of a game. Uh, game one, I believe, it was the 2017-18 NBA playoffs, the second round. The Raptors, I think, five missed shots in seven seconds or something like that. Basically, Jonas Valanciunas was just tapping the ball around the rim as it, you know, eked in and out. And so the Raptors went on to get swept. DeMar DeRozan went on to get traded. And Kawhi Leonard came in and they won the championship the next year. So perhaps the Raptors, Scotty Barnes, and OG, two misses at the buzzer, basically. Uh, Down one in this case, not tied like the Raptors were way back in those playoffs. And uh, yeah, OG gets to a good spot. It was a similar jumper the one he hit against New York, uh, you know, left-hand dribble, left side of the floor, getting that step in to step out, you know, drop dribble, step back, get to your spot, see if you can hit the jumper. Pretty happy with the look he got, honestly. Uh, it just didn't go in. A little bit heavy. That's it. Catches rim. Scotty goes up, tries to tap it in. It hangs on where the the glass and the rim meet. It hangs there for just a moment, comes back down, and Scotty, he taps it back in, and it goes in. It's just the buzzer had already gone by that point. And the Raptors, I think, honestly, in a game where they only were trailing in the past, in the, what was it, like the last 4.8 seconds or something like that, you know what I mean? That was the first time they trailed in the whole game was when that happened. And to lose a game like that, uh, supremely disappointing because end-to-end, it did seem like they had the Cavs at arm's reach. And then towards the end of the game, Darius Garland started to get a lot of rim pressure, a lot of penetration. And between he, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, they started assaulting the rim quite a bit. And the Raptors, try as they might, they don't have a guy on the roster currently who can get into the teeth of the defense with the effectiveness that uh, Darius Garland can. And not that Darius Garland is the end-all be-all, but he had 21-8 in this game. He was... Really, really nice from the floor. I think he was 8 of 12. And he he figured out the Raptors' rotations. He got to the spots he liked in the second half. And the Raptors, as good as OG was, as good as Fred was, they weren't able to pressure the rim and cause rotation towards the end of the game in the same way. 
And I think that was kind of what what made the game what it was, a loss in the end. And the Raptors have been too good so far to start the year, too successful, and just too competent for too long of stretches for me to say, well, this is roster building. They don't they don't have that classic guy who's going to get downhill because Fred isn't that and OG is not there yet and perhaps he might get there he did apply a lot of pressure towards the rim in this game maybe not in the same way that you saw from Darius Garland where it's like a screen and roll and the rotations are something you see a million times a game and then it's the cat and mouse thing no like OG is taking post-ups or isolations and kind of converting them into those little skip step and then a post-up and getting deep into the paint, drawing doubles that way, drawing rotation that way, and then guys are kind of, you know, making like a Corey cut into the paint or something. You know what I mean? Like coming into the open space, hitting a little pop shot. It's not the same as like a lob that you would see thrown in a, uh, <laughs> in like a, a classic pick and roll. I think like James Harden and, you know, Clint Capella for however long. But it's uh, it's a different way to create, but the five assists he had in this game, and uh, the way that he scored the ball as well, not to mention the defense, of course, that was all fantastic to see. So I thought that was really encouraging. And Fred still, you know, he's come such a far way, a long way, I should say, as a playmaker that he he really is trying to lift. He's trying to be the rising tide that lifts all boats. And sometimes that's going to come up short. Sometimes the Raptors are going to struggle to score. That did show up, I think, in this game. The 21 points in the fourth quarter and not being able to handle Garland down the stretch, but they've done a good enough job so far into the season of honestly getting the ball out in transition, running. That's why they were in such a good position to start this game, particularly in the second quarter, getting turnovers and getting out and running. OG on the proper end of a lob and well, both sides of lob. Actually, he lobbed Scotty and Scotty hit it. And then Fred lobbed OG all in the span of like, I think four or five minutes. They were running. They were out there. And their defense was causing, a, well, was bringing a lot of pressure, <laughs> namely uh, Gary Trent Jr. with six steals. That's remarkable, dude. He's averaging now at this point, if he adds six steals, he's averaging over three steals a game. That is all sorts of bonkers. There were a couple plays. Uh, one, I think a lot of people remember because the broadcast remarked upon it, but Gary Trent Jr. basically chased across the floor to try and steal the ball from, I believe it was Mobley. Mobley saw him coming, a breakdown ensued, and a three-point shot was made. And that's where you say, hmm, do you gamble that much? Maybe you maintain the shell of the defense. We're not sure. But when a guy is averaging over three steals a game and has six in this one, especially when the Raptors, as we saw, are struggling in the half court to finish, getting out and running is just an absolute salve. It, it helps so much of what the Raptors want to do. It heals offense in a way, and it it promotes defensive intensity. Like, the, the guards on the Cavaliers, the bigs on the... Everybody on the Cavaliers, I should say, actually. They felt Gary Trent's presence. And sometimes he stepped too far one way and stepped too far the other. But they knew he was there. And uh, I, I thought his defense was remarkable in this game and continues to be. I mean, I think Kim Birch had a... Now, do not attribute this to Kim Birch. This is me paraphrasing. But he had a he had a comment the other day where he was talking about... Yeah, Gary Trent went from being basically like a bad defender to a really good one. I haven't seen anything like that before. Like there was no middle step. He went from bad to good. And Kim Birch, 
Well, again, uh, go seek it out on your own because I don't have the exact quote, but he remarked upon it in that way. Uh, and yeah, credit to Gary Trent Jr. As far as like the shot making potency in this game, yeah, brought a little pop, three or four from downtown. This is that's fantastic. Got to a couple shots to kind of save possessions on the back end of the, the shot clock. And late in the game, the first play of its kind this season, I think, for him, put the ball on the floor, left hand dribble out of a pick and roll, turned the corner, and was absolutely squeezed at the rim. It looked like he had no room to do anything whatsoever. But the ball popped out, and it rattled in because he threw a fastball in there, and it it rattled back and forth, and it dropped in. And that was a high-leverage bucket at a high-leverage moment that he got to the rim. Really cool to see because that is not uh, you know something that's common for him, getting to the rim in the half court. You know, not off of a cut or anything like that, right? Even when he gets to attack a closeout, typically he's sidestepping. He doesn't want to take his momentum downhill. And if he does, it's, you know, a step in for like a jumper or something like that. So to see him do something like that in a high leverage moment, hell yeah, Gary. So I I was super impressed with his game in this one. Once again, though, I leave every game just kind of wowed by OG Ananobi. And he, he continues to be... Uh, completely novel in the way that he goes about, you know, attacking defenses and applying pressure and no turnovers in this game. The ball is really safe in his hands. He's he's making short passes and that's short and sure, short and sure passes, I should say, because he does get the defense in complicated and uh, what would the term be? Compromised spots, complicated and compromised spots for them, but it gives himself very simplistic reads. I talked about the Corey cuts, the cuts into the space. And OG isn't making a ton of skip passes. They come and go. But to see him in this game completely compromise the defense and then just find guys for little close touch shots and stuff like that, it, it was awesome to see because it is unconventional. It doesn't look like a lot of other creators on a lot of other teams. But OG is figuring out with his body, with his, you know, his feel on the court and with all the skills that he has, how he wants to apply himself and where he wants to attack from. And it's, you know, it's an interesting back and forth every game. Sometimes he's really, really forcing it in and with good and bad results. In this game, I thought he had a pretty good sense of when to come in and try things and when to act as an off-ball guy and to make things happen as a shooter, spacing the floor. And that was a big part of, you know, the Raptors' offense in the second half was OG uh, as as a secondary guy or a tertiary guy, right? Second or third. And in the first half, it seemed like he was just hanging out, doing his thing for the most part, and uh, getting out in transition. He was on the, as I said, on the right end of a couple lobs, and I guess the the other end, the left end of, uh, of another lob. But it was cool. Very cool to see from him in this game. And uh, although these things, they don't solve everything. And that's where the Raptors, you know, you're facing a Cavaliers team that for many years since LeBron left has been towards the basement. They drafted Evan Mobley, who, you know, the Raptors apparently were pining for quite hard as well. I think a lot of teams were like, man, if Mobley falls, he seems like 1B to Cade Cunningham's 1A. He's just incredible. Of course, the Raptors have Scotty, who's, you know, phenomenal and did his thing. But Evan Mobley has really, really helped the Cavs. He looks like, you know, with Scotty Barnes, the other best rookie of the class so far. And they're both, you know, it's super early, but in a, a head-to-head race for rookie of the year this, like, this far in. 
It's super fun to watch him work. Defensively, he moves his feet so well, and the Raptors were trying to attack him as if he were maybe a slow-footed big, when I think with guys like that, you want to apply, like you want to use strength creation perhaps on stuff like that. So a misunderstanding of where his weaknesses currently lie, because I think they just saw a guy who's, you know, roughly seven feet tall, and they thought, let's try and take him off the bounce. But he's, you know, he's thin, and he's long, and he can step with those guys. He can slide. And so there are a lot of dead-end drives that came about that way. So Evan Mobley, a defensive, you know, he's a he's a defensive plus at this point in his career already, as is Jared Allen. And uh, the Cavs, they, they play good defense. They get after it. I think they had an awesome game defensively against the Raptors. And particularly towards the end, it's just very good at locking down what the Raptors want to do and largely on the back of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, who even had some interplay to kind of break the back of the Raptors' defense later on in the game. 18-5 and five from Mobley, 16-15 and 15 from Allen. I mean, Allen only took six shots, but he went five of six. He had an absolute backbreaker of a, uh, a heave. You know, he banked in a three-point shot. And Evan Mobley, just as I said, you know, it's the illusion of what you think might be available when he's guarding you, and it just wasn't. And Darius Garland, awesome game. Colin Sexton had a really tough time in this one, and it was, you know, and credit to the Raptors for keeping him under wraps. Same with Dean Wade. But Chetty Osman and Ricky Rubio, I think, both brought quite a bit of punch off of the Cleveland bench. And really, uh, they did a fantastic job of keeping them in it for long stretches. And the Raptors were kind of... You wonder if Malachi Flynn should have gotten more minutes than the seven or eight that he played because he had a really, really nice stretch in the game, uh, particularly on the defensive end. Yes, there were a couple really nice shots, the three-pointer and the the floater. Awesome to see that drop in. I've talked about how difficult a role he has on this team, particularly if he wants to succeed. And he he played, you know, next to Chris Boucher, they played the least amount of minutes tonight. Svi played 19 Banton played nine minutes and 30 seconds. Although Banton, he put up 11. Like he was, he was just out and running. He was taking guys off the dribble in the half court, getting to the bucket. You know, it was Colin Sexton the one time and Ricky Rubio the other time. And it's just like, yes, there's a size advantage there, but he got the step a little bit more impressive with Sexton maybe at this point, but Ricky Rubio was one of the best point guard defenders for years. He's he's great. He's a very intelligent defender. He has awesome feel for that end of the floor. So to see, you know, Delano Banton come in, just punch in 11 points in like less than 10 minutes of play was really cool. But this was also maybe the first game in a while where it seemed a little bit more even as far as the effects on court between Precious and Cam Birch. Uh, Precious, a pretty good game defensively, I think, in this one. I was pretty happy with how he was moving there. And it's, you know, it's tough to actually, like, if the team is going to be winning games and they want to win games, man, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it seems like Birch is the guy. And that's, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to be too harsh, but it's it's worth noting that, particularly in the first half, I thought that Precious was... Man, he was pretty sharp defensively. He was doing his thing. Had I, I thought had a really decent handle on Mobley and Allen whenever they were in his vicinity. And the help side stuff has never been like his cup of tea. He's still a young big man. The help side stuff is tough for everybody who comes into the league at that position. But 
I was pretty impressed with it in this game. And while Kem was keeping, you know, he was keeping possessions alive, he's fighting on the offensive glass. We did see the negative effects of his quote unquote spacing at times and how it affected certain offensive possessions. So there's a bit of back and forth as I'm watching this, but seven offensive boards for Kem. You know, he goes two for eight, and there's a couple times the ball leaked into his hands in the corner, and you could tell that was where the possession was supposed to end. It's a point of rest, and he either shoots it and converts it, or the defense catches up, and everything that happened in the in the possession up until that point is kind of worthless. It's work for no reason. And, you know, Kem, that, that was the drawback, although Precious doesn't really, he doesn't add anything in that regard either. But, you know, yeah. I like Kim has been, I think, very impressive so far this year. Although he didn't, I don't think he had as easy a time with uh, the front court as Precious did. And that's not, uh, you know, that's not a comment about them going into the future. Just in this game, I thought Precious was pretty good. And Kim obviously played 30, Precious played 18. But, you know, Kim put in work, has been doing so for the past few games. And even though, you know, Nick Nurse, you know, kind of snorted in derision at the idea of Kem Birch starting. Uh, the minutes played are an indicator of something here, uh, you know, as we as we all know. But yeah, uh, Scotty Barnes also uh, pretty cool to see him and uh, Mobley face off against each other. That was obviously a big feature of this game. Uh, unnamed scout uh, remarking that uh, this was the most aggressive Mobley has looked. And, you know, maybe or maybe it didn't have something to do with uh, with uh, Scotty Barnes on the opposite end of it. But Scotty Barnes, similarly, on the other side of things, right? How many times have we seen Scotty Barnes just absolutely take guys off the dribble, try and punish them, get to the bucket, throw up a janky shot? Maybe it goes in. And if it doesn't, he's just going to climb on dudes, shove around and get to the offensive glass. That We saw a couple of those tonight. Like, yeah. Scotty had six offensive boards. He was getting after it, and he put he put the screws on those guys, and he helped apply a lot of pressure in that way. And, you know, some slick passes as well. Although this game in particular, I think we really saw the limitations of his offense because there is a lot, and I mean a lot of size, with Mobley and Allen. And 7 for 19 from the floor, it, it was pretty clear that he had a tough time impressing his will in that way. You know, if he's playing like, you know, uh, Robert Williams or if he's playing against like Mitchell Robinson or Demonis Sabonis and there's a, a smaller guy at the power forward spot and maybe he can take advantage of him then and there will be switches because, you know, he's running like delay action or he's above the break trying to run like dribble handoffs and stuff like that and can leverage that into space for himself. You know, all that stuff is a possibility. But when it's just Mobley and Allen looking at you, it just doesn't get easier. It's tough to get there 100% of the time, all the time. And, you know, eventually that that we did see the, the drawbacks of that. And so that's fine, though. But the Raptors, I think, in this game played a pretty tight game. I definitely wasn't... It's just at the end, you're left wanting a little bit. But you see the guys struggle in the way that you've always seen them struggle. And you're waiting for them to transcend. And they do a little bit at a time, right? Like... Fred Van Vliet hitting that step back three, super important down the stretch of the game. OG Ananobi was very solid down the stretch of the game. And, you know, I talked about earlier, like Gary Trent Jr. getting to the rim in a high leverage moment, all that stuff, those are positive steps. Unfortunately, they didn't link up enough of those to end up winning this game. 
and had a few too many defensive breakdowns. It is what it is, but that's, you know, that's the game. 102 to 101, they lose a heartbreaker. A tip-in at the end doesn't drop, and, uh, and, and you know, quite frankly, a good shot from OG Ananobi. He gave it a shot. It had a chance, and it, uh, it just didn't drop in. The Reggie Evans Award winner, Gary Trent Jr., man. Six steals is a hell of a thing. He didn't eat glass or anything like that, but you notice Gary Trent Jr. on every single defensive possession. He is just present everywhere, and his, you know, his effort is palpable. He's awesome on that end, so yeah. Uh, top quick action comment from Giovanni Galli. Uh, quote, well, sorry, not quote. Uh, there's a curse in here. So if you don't like those, skip ahead. Quote, that was one of those loose to random shit games. Allen hitting a three, missed goaltending up and down by Sexton. Barnes tips it in a second after the buzzer. These games happen as frustrating as they are. End quote. Uh, yeah, you know, they were they were on the tough end of a couple calls. Although, you know, most players, if you ask them, you know, if they're not, you know, just reeling after a game where they feel like they got jobbed, most players, most coaches will say the game is won on the floor by the players, not by the referees. And I think that is, you know, that is, you know, that's an important thing to understand. Although I, I don't disagree. There were there were some tough calls, although the Raptors, I think it was within their means with a little bit better execution to actually just close this one out. I mean, they led the whole game until the last 4.8 seconds, I believe. So some tough stuff and some tough playing, but as I said earlier, it is what it is. Giovanni Galli, thank you for writing in. Listener, thank you for tuning in. But whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and bye.